Hey guys, I don't know if you're like me, but I love Count the Dings and everything it has to offer. I just can't find everything I need. You know, I know about Cinephobe and I know about the mailbag and I know about Bomb, but that's all we do, right, I mean? No, we do so much more. What? Yeah, absolutely. If you sign up, patreon.com slash count the dings, you'll find a plethora of other content, fresh content, extended content, the OG pod overflow, the Cinephobe cold opens that we've taken and made their own thing to live only there. The Rewatchingtons, bomb in its full Ooh. and unadulterated cut, early drops of Cinephobe episodes, and so much more. You said the OG pod. Now, is it new or is it old? Mace, I'm glad you asked that. It is a new incarnation mm-hmm. of the old OG pod. Oh. So it's me, Zach, Trey, Waz, Tom. I love those guys. Just like we always were. Going back to the True Hoop days, mm-hmm. we're recreating that magic, recapturing it, and putting it back out. We're talking hoops. We're talking pop culture. And most importantly, we're talking for 40 minutes for free. Mm-hmm. But then another specific Patreon exclusive segment for every one of those episodes. Funny enough about that OG pod, you're getting Tom and Trey on Mondays. You're getting me and Waz, aka Zosny, on Wednesdays. Amin's floating in between. I'm a floater. You never know when you're going to get Amin in those, so you got to listen to them all. And what if I'm not sure what Maze looks like? Because I've always thought he's a fat man with a fedora. He's got a weird voice. How can I see for myself what this Maze character actually looks like? It's crazy you don't know the answer to this. Hmm. because it's the Cinephobe Pod YouTube page. What? The CT5s on the Cinephobe Pod YouTube page. You can look at all of us. You can get all the OG pods on YouTube too at CountTheDings1 on YouTube, at Cinephobe Pod on YouTube, patreon.com slash CountTheDings gets you everything all in one feed. You can link it to your Spotify. And now enjoy the show. Hey, listener, Zach Harper here, Underdog Fantasy the easiest place to play fantasy sports. Also, fastest growing fantasy app in the industry. Here's how it works. The Pick'em Game. Pick whether your favorite players will have a higher or lower stat total in this week's game for a chance to win big. How big, you ask? I'm so glad you asked that question, listener. You can win up to 100 times your money in a single night. Pick between two and five players. Build a pick'em entry. You can also do rivals picks. You can put like Tyrese Halliburton and Jalen Brunson against each other, and whoever has more points points, more assists, more rebounds, whatever you want to do. That is your rival's pick. I would maybe go with Jalen Brunson in these playoffs. By the way, in the regular season, Jalen Brunson scoring tear going higher on his point totals all the time. Joel Embiid, whenever he did actually play higher on his scoring totals all the time. Victor Wembanyama for the next 15, 20 years. Here's a pro tip for you. Take higher on the blocks. That's right. So you're probably wondering, how do you sign up? Oh my God, listener, you are full of good questions today. Sign up with the promo code DING, that's D-I-N-G, to claim your special pick first-time deposit offer up to $250 in bonus cash. $250, man, that's a lot. Visit underdogfantasy.com or find them in the App Store. And don't forget to register with our code DING, D-I-N-G, to claim your special pick and first-time deposit offer up to $250 in bonus cash. Must be 18 or older, 21 or older in Massachusetts, Arizona, 19 or older in Alabama and Nebraska, and present in a state where Underdog Fantasy operates. Terms apply. Concerned with your play, call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.ncpgambling.org, Arizona 1-800-NEXT-STEP, that's 1-800-639-8783, or text Next Step to 53342. New York, call the 24-7 Hope Line at 1-877-8-HOPE-NY, or text HOPE-NY-467-369. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. 
pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the latest edition of the Woke Bros. Of course, I'm your co-host, Big Waz, a.k.a. Wazdy Lambray, joined as always by my brother, my partner for real, like the Wayans, Nando Vila on the west side of Los Angeles, brother. What's going on? What's up? What's up? Are you enjoying the NBA playoffs? They're pretty fun. I am. I yeah. am. They've a lot been, of great players. A lot of great players. Last night's freaking jazz game was excellent. Uh, it's just it's just been awesome, and like it's a, such a stark difference from what the regular season has been, which was yeah. like a bunch of teams like fuck this. We came back two months after the last season ended. I don't give a fuck. To guys literally killing themselves to win every game. I love that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. On today's show, our friend, your former president, <laughs> Barack Hussein Obama, gave a very long interview to Ezra Klein of the New York Times. I thought it was pretty interesting and fascinating. It's always dope to hear Barry wax poetic about his own legacy, his own presidency. It's just interesting to get into the mind of Obama. We're going to break down that interview. Uber, Airbnb, uh, all of these jobs from the gig economy. New York Times put out a piece that said investors are done losing money. They're tightening the belt, which means higher costs for us, et cetera, et cetera. What that's going to mean going forward, me and Nando are going to get into that. But first, and I know producer Sean is going to play this clip for y'all. Kamala Harris, was she in Guatemala or was the Guatemalan president? She was in Guatemala. Yeah. She was in Guatemala. The Guatemalan president was there. She gave a speech in which she told everybody, uh, Nando, don't come to America. (laughs) <laughs> Don't cross the border illegally. Do not come. We have a legal means of immigration and refugee mm. policy. Go through that. Don't traverse the dangerous waters of coming to America. We're going to protect our border. We're going to send your asses back. Do not come. At the same time, I want to be clear to folks in this region who are thinking about making that dangerous trek to the United States-Mexico border. Do not come. Do not come. The United States will continue to enforce our laws and secure our border. There are legal methods by which migration can and should occur. And I talked about this very briefly on Wozni and Nando. And I always love to talk to you about immigration because, you know, I think yours is a very poignant one. And it's just that the Dems are incoherent on the subject matter. They don't have a plan. They don't have an ideology. They don't have a policy. And furthermore, the right is united on immigration. We don't want it in any form, any way. Kick them all out. Don't let any more in. And so they get wrong-footed on the subject time and time and time again. Um, definitely would love to hear <laughs> what were your thoughts when you see Kamala Harris talking to a bunch of Guatemalans who, by the way, and I know I'm fucking being long here. It must be said, it can't not be overstated. The conditions under which those people live are largely influenced by the policies of the United States government. Like you can't disentangle the two. The reason why people want to get out of there and escape crushing poverty and extreme violence and the bullshit drug war is directly tied to U.S. governmental policy. You cannot mm. disentangle the two. So for the American vice president to come there and finger wave and be like, you know, take your border crossing asses back to Guatemala, it's insulting, it's inhumane, it's stupid, it's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, I, I there's a lot to say about this. Um, and you touched on the most important thing, which is that the conditions in Guatemala, which are pretty horrible, um, are caused by the United States, have been caused by the United States for decades, um, starting with the um, 
coup d'etat in 1954 of Jacobo Arbenz, which was done by the CIA um, and hmm. uh, in service in service of the United Fruit Company, which is today Chiquita Banana. Um, I did a big long segment in um, the Jacobin show uh, about that whole history. Um, but that's putting that aside. First of all, I find it kind of funny that Joe Biden um, tasked Kamala, his you know vice president, with. Come on. Yeah. He, yeah, he tasked her with like dealing with the border crisis, which is just such a poisoned uh, job. You know, he like Joe Biden is kind of a savvy politician. He's an old school politician. He knows that Kamala is a threat to him, you know, that um, that he, you know, he, he wants to run for reelection and like he doesn't want any sort of any anyone suggesting that Kamala should run uh, for, you know, on the top of the ticket in 2024. So he's basically doing what a lot of presidents do, which is send their vice presidents off to do the most unappealing, thankless, thankless Mm -hmm. shit, which is like sending her to Central America to deal with the border crisis in which that news, that clip of her saying, you know, to the Guatemalans, don't come, don't come is going to be used against her (laughs) whenever she runs for president. And as evidence Rightfully so of Democratic Party hypocrisy for fucking four years of Trump. We heard about the kids in cages, Mm -hmm, about how, mm -hmm. you know, his vicious immigration policy was evidence of Trump's fascism, that he started his campaign by calling Mexicans rapists, all of which is true. Like, don't don't get me wrong. I'm not like um, and, and Democrats were just fucking, you know, hair on fire about Trump's treatment of immigrants and. I always knew that as soon as the Democrats got back in power, they were going to do the exact same shit. Because why did I know that? Because that's what they did before. Right. There's just no difference. There's like literally no difference between the, the Democratic Party policy on immigration than the Republican Party on immigration. Like they, they, they make like, you know, very small tinkering uh, reforms like, you know, about the dreamers, the, the, like, you know children people who were brought here as babies okay like you know okay but that's like a very (laughs) small sliver of the overall immigrant population um and you know barack obama who we'll talk about later deported more people than any other president in the history of america you know deporter in chief and and by the The way nando it must be said that um the the reasoning given for this by the way was we want to come up with sensible immigration policy and how we show the other side that we're serious about it is that yeah. we deport as many brown people as humanly fucking possible. And by the way, because it's always important to point this out, why can't the Democrats make effective arguments to people who don't vote for them when they're the most sensible party? When they watch Democrats talk all the shit about Trump's immigration policy and they can just be clearly pointed out like, yo, Barry was doing the same shit before. These facilities, they didn't, we didn't build these facilities um, in January of 2017 yeah. when this guy got inaugurated. They already existed. This is existing yeah. policy being um, executed. And so when Dems pretend like, oh, heavens, no, not the little brown babies being ripped away from their families, Nando. We have to save yeah. them. This can't, we can't allow for yeah. this. The, the libs just hate it. Everybody knows they're full of shit. And so when you're constantly just full of shit on policy yeah. after policy yeah. after policy, and you want people to vote for you and support you when you just do nothing but the most hypocritical bullshit and then tell them, you know, you're not moral enough or you're a raging racist for not supporting me and my hypocritical, excuse me, lying ass ways. This is why you lose Democrats. This is why you lose. Well, I mean, because they do the worst of both worlds, right? Like they hector people about like, you know, using the term Latinx or something while deporting, you know, millions of people. But uh, yeah, I mean, you know, you've heard the term, (laughs) you've heard the term, you've heard the term border militarization. Right. You've mm-hmm. heard that term. Right. It's a real thing that the border has been militarized. Thanks. When did that start? That started in the mid 1990s under the administration of one Bill Clinton in the wake of the passage of something called NAFTA, the North Atlantic Free Trade Organization, which they knew would displace millions of Central American farmers because of the presence of U.S. agribusiness, you know, subsidized U.S. multinational agribusiness corporations flooding 
Mexico and the rest of Central America with cheap American produced um, agricultural goods would displace millions of small farmers in Central America. And they would either have to move to the cities of Central America and try to find jobs, but, but there's only so many jobs to go around. And the other, the only other choice to go to the United States. So they knew that this was going to create a migration pro uh, crisis. So a uh, good friend of the show, Rahm Emanuel, who was at the time an advisor to Bill Clinton, who then became Barack Obama's chief of staff and then became the mayor of Chicago um, and covered up the murder of Laquan McDonald um, by the police. Uh, he actually wrote a big memo to Bill Clinton saying we need to militarize the border. We need to divert mm -hmm. resources to Border Patrol because there's going to be millions of fucking Mexicans coming over here mm -hmm. after NAFTA. Mm -hmm. you no, know, So they knew it was started by the Democrats. It was enhanced by George W. Bush in the wake of 9-11 because there was this like thing that they, they, I remember like hearing people yeah, say like ISIS is going to come, come by Mexico yeah, Al-Qaeda yeah, yeah. yeah they're coming from Mexico <laughs> um, and so we need to do border militarization <laughs> and then Obama and like you said after George W. Bush in this like insanely stupid attempt to win over Republican mm -hmm. uh, senators and, and voters by showing how tough he was on the border, mm -hmm. deported close to 4 million people. I mean, think of like the forced movement of 4 million people, you know, like from one place to another. It's it's it boggles the mind to think about it. Um, and then, of course, we know about Trump. And so, like, it's just been a continuous line started by the Democrats, enhanced by the Republicans, enhanced then by the Democrats, enhanced then by the Republicans, and now again, um, Kamala. And the thing is about Kamala is that she's being more annoying about it because she's being woke about it. So like, um, you know, <sighs> and it's, and just, then, it's just... But then, you know, the optics of it aren't lost on me, Nando, because like you, I'm the child of immigrants, and yeah. so is Kamala. So yeah. for Kamala to get up there and be talking all this shit, about these people who just want to come to the country and do like her parents did. It's kind yeah. of fucking wild to me. Like the optics of that are just horrible, dude. Yeah. Like, you, you know, you descend from Indians and um, Jamaican people, et cetera, et cetera. And the idea that she would get up there and say all of that shit is just, it's incredible to me. And that, and that's not lost on me. And it, you, again, just the, 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 the ideological incoherence of democratic immigration policy is disgusting and it hurts them. And it hurts you and I in the sense that this is why y'all don't win. Yeah. This is why Plus, you guys don't win. Do you know how many Guatemalans died in the Guatemalan civil war, which was started after the United States did a coup d'etat, uh, engineered a coup d'etat in Guatemala no in 1954? 300,000 people. Jesus. 300,000 people in a small, very poor, country Jesus. in Central America, dominated by the United Fruit Company, a single American corporation. You know, all the bananas that you eat came from came from uh, in, the, in the supermarket, came from Guatemala, um, essentially slave conditions uh, there by, by, you know, from poor workers. Um, and there was a civil war that was incredibly vicious in which the U.S. backed government just like indiscriminately murdered uh, indigenous people uh, there and killed 300,000 people. And we are lecturing them now about, you know, don't come over here, you know, stay in your fucking shithole uh, because the one that we created, um, you know, it, it's just it's just the hypocrisy, the the condescension, the moral like abomination of it is it drives me crazy, um, especially to see fucking Democrats doing you know, like uh, the the right wing all over the Western world has, you know, taken up immigration as its main driving force for support. You know, on some level, I get that. But to see Democrats doing it, it's just it's just crazy. Especially because they're, they're never going to get credit for it. Like they're never right. going to get the political credit for it. Like I, I guarantee you, if you pull Republican voters, they think like Kamala and Joe Biden are su support open borders. Yeah, facts. Yeah. And you know the and the and the, and another thing about it is like your constituency doesn't give a shit about this. I think that's another no. sort of huge problem about it is that the the, the democratic sort of um you know coalition doesn't really care about immigration. You know, um doesn't really care whether those Guatemalans get in or they don't get in. They yep. don't really care what's happening with those people. And so, like, they get wrong-footed all the time. And to the extent that they do, I would say that it's a bunch of those reactionary suburbanites who are just like, eh, do we really need more Guatemalans in the country? 
soaking up all our welfare and you know raising taxes on people like me who make 450 grand a year do we really need it you know um so to the extent that people do care i think they're you know kind of with mitch mcconnell and the republicans on it but you know i think we spent enough time on kamala harris's horrible finger wagging hypocritical just terrible my god um and we move on to the gig economy nando new york times put out a piece uh, where they're basically saying um, all of those cheap Ubers, cheap Airbnbs, cheap DoorDashes, you know, Ubers coming within two minutes for $2 to take you to the freaking moon. That's about to be over. As most of you probably know by now, the reason we were getting cheap Ubers is because VCs were subsidizing it. The idea being that we're going to give these people cheap rides. We're going to pay enough drivers to have enough on the road so that it's a quick service, cheap service, get them hooked on it so that we can fire all the drivers and use, you know, autonomous vehicles, right? That was the vision of these companies, by the way. Like, I hope that's not law. They've, they've since pivoted. Like, Uber has actually even sold the autonomous car division um, yeah. of the company. So they've pivoted from that. But the original vision of Uber was that they would get a bunch of people on the platform, a bunch of users uh, via these drivers, fire the drivers after they, you know, develop these autonomous cars, i.e. self-driving cars. And so therefore we don't got to pay for insurance. We don't got to pay wages. We don't got to pay benefits. We don't got to do any of that. These cars are robots. People are going to get in. It's going to be fucking great. That was the vision of this fucking company to start. Yeah. Like as disgusting as that is. Um, so they've since moved on. And as you know, as I've certainly noticed being here in Los Angeles, less drivers on the road and more costs. Um, and by the way, Nando, I'm getting a car in the coming months. I'm out of here. I'm opting out of Uber. I, you know, God bless the drivers, all of that. Like, I don't mind paying, but it's like the frequency. And I'm like, nah, I'm done with Uber. But, you know, yeah. it's, it just kind of speaks to the sort of bullshit of the entire, that entire economy, right? Um, this idea yeah. that VCs would just underwrite shit. Which just speaks to the just the, the ridiculous amounts of wealth these cats have anyway. Um, for a business model that just doesn't make sense. Like I do, I am somebody who thinks there's a utility to connecting people who want to drive people around to the people who need to be driven around. I think there's a use for it. I just it's clearly not as valuable as what the VCs thought to begin with, you know. And so we're yeah. seeing that now. Yeah. So it's not just Uber, Airbnb. Bird, uh, DoorDash, um, all of these apps that we got that we've gotten used to in the last couple of years, um, you know, which which I think I, I you know I, I, there's no there's no point in denying it. Provide a, a a good service, you know, like that they it's it's nice to be able to like use DoorDash to order food, um, and it's like a pretty comfortable experience all around. Um, but like, and you know, Bird that like those like little scooters and whatever and 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 shit like that. And one of the aspects about it is that it, it it's always been remarkably cheap, you know. Like everyone always said, like an Uber, it's 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 a better experience than a taxi. You know, you get it on your phone, and it shows up instead of like you know going out in the rain and looking for for a taxi on the street. Um, and it's cheaper. It's like oh my god, like why wouldn't we do it? You know. And the point is that it's cheaper because it's fake, because it's it's subsidized. <laughs> it's not. It doesn't actually make any money. You know how much money Uber lost in 2019? This I'm not talking about the pandemic year. This is before the pandemic. Their full, the last full year they had pre-pandemic in 2019. You know how, how much money Uber lost in one year? $8.5 billion. Jesus Christ. You know what that is? That's them subsidizing oh cheap rides. You know, because they, they don't, there's nothing else to Uber. They don't have employees. They don't, they, you know, it's an app, whatever. They, they, all the drivers are independent contractors, but they, what they do is they artificially subsidize um, the prices for consumers, but that, that can't last forever, you know, and there's so <laughs> much money in Silicon Valley. There's so much money in these, um, in, in these venture capital funds and stuff that, that have just made unbelievable amounts of money on you know things like facebook and and google and things like that that they don't even know what to do with it so they're in they're investing it in all these apps which the only thing that they do is disrupt functioning healthy businesses drive them underwater and then they themselves are just going to replace them and they're going to jack up the prices 
you know, so Airbnb is is a mortal threat to like the hotel industry, right? And I'm not saying like the hotel industry is some great industry, but it, it worked. Like it, it had a functioning, um, you know, profit system, and you know, all, most of their employers uh, employees are kind of, uh, you know, have are unionized. Like in Vegas, for example, like the you know the the hotel em uh, employees are, are are unionized and things like that. And Airbnb is a mortal threat to all those things. Um, but and one of the appeals of Airbnb is that it's cheaper than a hotel. It's cheaper, you know, like, yeah, you don't get you don't get someone cleaning your room and you don't get like room service and things like that. But but whatever, you know, like it's it's so much cheaper to get an Airbnb. And like that's ending because at a certain point, these people need to start making money. And none of those companies do. None of them do. None of them turn a profit. Like so under capitalism, if you don't turn a profit, you die, you know, mm -hmm. but and the spigot from VCs um, seems to be ending. And. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's an overall like a positive development because this kind of artificial yeah. subsidies was was just uns unsustainable and was horrible for workers, right? I mean, what they did was basically destroyed industries that were, you know, that had stable employment for these kind of gig in, uh, industries that don't have st stable employment. So, you know, the, the the faster it ends, the better. Yeah, and I think people that are listening to this need to understand that, like, you know, when you go to Walmart and every register is open. And, you know, there's somebody to help you through the aisles and all of that shit, like to make your experience convenient. That comes at a cost. And it's usually to that work to the workers. It's never going to be to the Waltons. Um, they're never going to be like, yo, let's provide an incredible service for our customers. And we just make a little bit less. That's yeah. never going to be the case. They're just going to be like, no, let's find as much slave labor as we can. And. How we execute that is that we put pressure on politicians to make sure the welfare state sucks and that people, their only choices are between poverty and these fucking jobs, right? And I think it's important that we're conscious of these facts as we're living them, right? Like, you know, when your Uber comes, when your, when your Uber comes in two minutes and your driver gives you a great service, but... He's paying for his car insurance by himself. He's paying that yeah. car note by himself. He doesn't have any health insurance. Like part of the reason why your shit is so cheap is because of those facts. You know, yeah. I think it's important that people are conscious of this, um, yeah. how the economy works. And again, capital has rigged it on the other side to ensure these outcomes. Like all of this shit about healthcare benefits, um, the, the the you know the social safety net etc cetera, etc cetera, housing all of that stuff capital doesn't want government investment in those things because they would prevent people from going to work at McDonald's for seven fifty an hour yeah. and cooking those greasy ass burgers in that hot ass kitchen they would stop yeah. people if they had a universal basic income if they could get health care otherwise if they could find affordable housing all of those other things you just wouldn't take that job they would have to lift the standard of those jobs if government helped us with that yeah and so no. i think it's important yeah. that our listeners understand this basic fact you know yeah. um when you think like you know i remember people saying like nobody should make 15 dollars to work at mcdonald's like normal working people and that's cuz they were getting 22 to do some fancy job that they probably got a degree for not that the job was actually fancy but you know what i mean and it's just like yeah yeah no 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 the people that are paying you 22 could actually would have to afford to pay you more that's the that's the line that nobody ever wants to draw if mcdonald's yeah. was offering 19 they couldn't offer you 22 to do your job. You would have right. to get paid more. And I keep telling this story about the young woman, because I do work for Spotify now, the young woman who I met at the uh, sort of networking powwow that we had for new employees. Young woman, lives in India, owns her apartment, by the way. I'm, I, I didn't ask how old she was, but I would bet she was my age and younger. Owns her apartment, by the way, in Sweden. Um, and she was just like... Yeah, like health insurance isn't a thing here. So <laughs> I was telling, I was like, yo, Spotify is great Bennies. She's like, would you guys we don't consider, need that. yeah, would you guys consider to be great Bennies? Like, like the standard in Sweden is 13 months for maternity leave. Um, and for paternity leave, it's mandatory you don't come in for three months. It's mandatory. Yeah. You're not allowed to yeah. come into work. For three yeah. months after your baby is born. Like these fringe benefits that y'all see jobs is giving out 
We don't see those as benefits. So therefore, employers have to up the ante. <laughs> they yeah. have to actually make their jobs um, appealing. And so, like, I say all of that to say, like, this: all of these things are interconnected, right? Like, the way that Uber gets to treat people and use us as a way to manipulate it, as a way to be like, fuck that. I don't want my Uber going up. I don't want this going up. Like, it's always framed um, from the viewpoint of capital, employers, it's a, the job creators, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so I just think it's important for people to keep that shit in the back of their minds. Yeah. No, it's true. I mean, we, you know, we, the, 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 the big fundamental change that has happened in America and, and in a lot of places really um, since the 1970s, what we call the neoliberal era, was to turn people from political subjects or citizens into consumers, right? To see themselves first as consumers and not as citizens or political subjects or members of a class or, you know, things like that, like that as individual consumers. So often, you know, things are framed as like, this is better for you as a consumer, but is it better for you as a class? You know, like that's never, that's never the case. And often the things that are better for you in the short term as consumers, maybe slightly more convenient or whatever, as a consumer, will ultimately in the long term have a detrimental effect on your life as a class because it, it means lower wages. It means, you know, less protections. Um, it means less welfare benefits. It means, it means all, all the things that make um, get people lead stable lives go away. But you get the quick Uber uh, ride at your door. You know, like that's the trade-off. And I don't know that it's a trade-off that most people it's... would make if they saw themselves as part right. of a, yes. you know, a coherent social um, organism rather than just kind of as individual atomized consumers. And again, um, your job is able to, because one, I just saw it today in the times again, Uber is ratcheting up their lobbying efforts, Uber and Lyft and the rest of them to ensure the status quo of how their um, basically their relationship between the drivers. They're trying to lock yeah. that in. Yeah. Right. And again, how does that affect you? Your person at your job could be like, you could always go drive Uber. Yeah. <laughs> That's what they're going to say to you. Yeah. At your fucking job. That's literally what yeah. the bosses are going to say. And, you know, I can tell you this firsthand as somebody who just recently switched jobs and had a contract negotiation, blah, 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 blah. Literally, they'll say this shit to you. Yeah. Literally. They will literally yeah. tell your ass. You can always go drive Uber. <laughs> you know, without yeah, not even fact. not that they're explicitly stating that, but it's under the undertone is always there. You know, you can yeah. either do this or you can take a gig economy job and be miserable. Relatively speaking, you got it pretty good. Yeah. Slave. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Massa house yeah. down the block that they, they don't they don't get to eat the good parts of the pig. They don't they don't <laughs> get to have the they don't they don't never get no steak tips. You crazy? <laughs> so it's 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 always it's it's oh it, but it's constantly what they're doing. When you hear the hand ringing about people not going back to work and blah blah blah. Me and Nando are gonna get into that next week, but people not going back to work and blah blah blah. It's like that's what they're referencing, guys. Yeah. They're basically like, yo, these people don't want to take the slave jobs no more. What the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. It's and leverage. So it's always, it's all leverage. And you should always see everything is that. They're trying to leverage everything against us. It's them versus us. It's the mm -hmm. bosses or, you know, because Frank Luntz is such a fucking genius. Not the bosses, the job, the job creators. creators. Yeah. It's the job creators versus us. But we move on because we wanted to spend a little bit of time. Did you have anything else to throw in there? No, no, no. Move on. Move on, baby. We wanted to spend a little bit of time on Barry because you guys know Barry's a pet fascination of ours on this <laughs> podcast. And um, he went on Ezra Klein's show uh, to do basically he didn't, it's not a postmortem on his on his presidency honestly it's a political commentary of the current moment mm -hmm. and they kind of a little bit nando get into barry's own influence on it kind of but not really 
Um, but it's basically, and I think honestly, Barry has poignant thoughts on what's going on right now. Yeah. He's a smart guy. It's obvious yeah. that he's still plugged in and that he gets it on a like a fundamental level. He deeply understands our political moment 100%. But Ezra Klein, as we <laughs> in not so nice language talked about in our personal exchange, Nando, didn't mm-hmm. do a good enough job interrogating Barry on his own role in this. A lot of it felt like, yeah. well, I can't help but the weather. I can't help that the sun comes up every day, even though I was the most powerful man on the planet for eight years. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it, what what really struck me about that whole exchange, which is worth listening to, it's like an hour long uh, You need to listen to it. Interview. You should listen to it. Everybody should um, listen to it. What both Ezra Klein and, of course, Barack Obama take as given was that Obama did achieved the best that was possible. Not the best he could, the best that was possible theoretically, you know, as in his presidency. Yes, because, you know, they talk a lot about the rise of the Tea Party and they talk a lot about um, the role of race in the rise of the Tea Party. And of course, that's part of it. That, of course, but what also fueled uh, the Tea Party, not just like its rise, but its kind of lasting impact on American politics was the fact that Obama bailed out the banks and didn't bail out the homeowners. Mm-hmm. You know, that, the, that there was a foreclosure crisis that they did nothing to stop, which they could have easily, like it's, easily they could have stopped it. You know, the, the, this 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 idea that they, that they had no choices um, is absolute bullshit. Um, and, and by the way, Nando, In the midst of that, they let bankers go on TV and say a bunch of fucking idiots took out loans they couldn't afford. And Nando brought it up on previous shows. We used to think of debtor and debt E as symbiotic. It's a two-way street. It's not just that somebody takes money that they can't afford to pay back. It's that somebody loans them money that they know they can't afford to pay back. Well, not just that, but the creditor was seen as the villain in that exchange. In that exchange. Throughout history. (laughs) You know, like usury and lending people money and charging interest was illegal for like throughout the Middle Ages. And Listen, listen, the Jews are still dealing with that backlash. Centuries later. (laughs) But the reason why the Jews were the bankers was because they were not subject to like medieval Catholic law or whatever. So they they were allowed to do this. You know, often they were, you know, it's it's a whole thing that's not worth getting into. But um, but but like throughout history, the creditor was seen as the villain in this exchange. But very subtly lately in America, the debtor has been seen as the villain and the creditor has been seen as just a fact oh, of you're life. loaded up on debt. You you yeah. spending beyond your means. You're, you, you're a piece of shit for that. And it's like, no, the yeah. credit card companies were very predatory and even giving that to you. You're like, shit, I could get some extra money to help me with some bills. People are like, that's irresponsible. Yeah. But it's like, no, yeah. the credit card companies knew what they were doing the whole time. And then, again, by the way, when they load up on debt that they can't pay back, the they U.S. government up. sweeps in immediately yeah so that's that's the fundamental problem that i have with this whole thing is that you know the 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 central flaw of of obama and the sort of original sin of obama which happened in the first year of his presidency was that he bailed out the bankers no strings attached they didn't even they didn't even put strings on their bonus pay they were paying themselves bonuses with the bailout money okay Obviously, not a single one went to jail. All that thing, all that shit has been repeated a million times. Um, but the, but the, like, if you're gonna do that, you have to bail out regular people, and they did not, you know. And um, so that's that's like the fundamental thing. Not to, you know, not to mention his immigration policy. Not to mention the Affordable Care Act, of which the only really good thing in the Affordable Care Act was the Medicaid expansion, which was shut down by the Supreme Court, and then you know most Repo- like like half the states didn't even um, adopt it. Mm-hmm. So the rest of it was just this kind of like bullshit handout to pharmaceutical companies, insurance companies, really, um, that forced people like middle class people to pay into uh, money that they didn't really have into these like insurance exchanges for insurance that had like a $10,000 deductible. So like it just they couldn't even pay that anyway. So that's why it just it made people so angry because it's like, why am I forced to pay for something that's like 
is not helping me out at all. Um, so aside from all that, the only the only calculus that is made on things like the rise of the Tea Party, which then led to Trump, obviously, and you know the current political moment, is exactly how racist are people, right? Like, and that's a factor in it, but it ignores the real fundamental kind that of you didn't policy failures that you didn't do shit fundamentally. So, and the fact is like, you know, as racist as people in America can be, Obama won two elections <laughs> where he won the white working class vote both times, you know? Um, and so these conversations are always, are always around identity and never around hard brass tacks policies that can improve people's lives. And does right, Obama but, ask himself that question? No. But he's talking out of both sides of his mouth too, um, in the sense that when Ezra Klein asks him if he thinks people are persuadable, he's like, yo, you put, if you actually do shit like for people, it's gonna get through. Like if you do yeah. stuff for them, you know, cause, cause they talked about like when they tried to, like when the Republicans got the house, the Senate, the presidency, when they went out and they tried to gut the things that people actually liked in Obamacare, they couldn't. So there yeah. was an actual nod to the fact of like, as racist as people are, they didn't want to get rid of pre-existing conditions. They wanted to yeah. keep their kids on the fucking insurance until they were fucking 40. They wanted to like, you know what I'm saying? Like the things that were great that they could materially feel there was nothing the Republicans could do. You could call Barry a socialist, terrorist, Kenyan, Muslim, yeah. you know, lazy N-word, and you still couldn't take it away. The people still felt the material impact of those policies. Yeah. So at the same time, he's talking out of both sides of his mouth, you know, um, yeah. and again, there's no, like, the way they just glossed over, like, well, we had to bail out the financial, we... You know, there's that's this. Just a, that's just a given. That's just a given. Right. The way that that's talked about is a given. Like this idea, like this is what nobody ever wants to talk about. It's like we watched Wall Street be completely roaring, soaring, killing it throughout during the pandemic while everybody's lives were unaffected, were not made better. Why don't we ever try this thought experiment in the opposite? Yeah. Watch him burn. How's, I don't want. I want to see. I want. I want to see it. I want to actually see Wall Street burn to the ground and normal everyday people's lives actually be affected by it. Yeah. Like it makes no sense to me. Like how? How can one? How can one be the case and not the other? But they never. You know, they never addressed that. I just thought it was funny how it was just like. Well, of course we have to save the banks. Well, the, and the other thing that I found interesting, do you remember when he started talking about um, the way they did the tax subsidy yes. in the stimulus and that Larry Summers convinced him to uh, put it out like in little bits in people's yeah. like weekly paycheck uh, rather than like one big lump sum payment because like the social science said that people were more, you know, if they didn't realize they were getting an extra few few bucks, they're more likely to spend it than if they got it in one lump payment. And that like... That was a lesson that they learned, um, you know, that 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 you need to like, it's better to just like give someone a big check and say like, this came from me, which is what Trump understood really well when he gave the the, the $1,200. put my name on forced, it. He put his name on it and the liberals are like, can you believe, can can you believe that he would put, put his name <laughs> so on crass. the check? His big ugly signature. Like, of course you fucking dumbasses <laughs> you have to tell people that you're giving them money that's the most popular thing in the world and that's something that joe biden didn't do when he gave the stimulus check he didn't put his name on it and now they're taking it away they're taking away the the unemployment insurance extension they're they're like they didn't learn those lessons you know they didn't learn them like you have to sell people on your you have to defend your own policies you know and put your name on your own policies especially the ones that help people you know, like that, that, yeah, that was like to me the most infuriating think, thing. Yeah. And cause Biden himself is, you know, he is a product of the Reagan era and they are so scared of this meritocracy, lazy bums, not getting what they deserve, but the numbers don't back that up, son. I'm sorry. Like the stimulus was fucking broadly popular. Everybody understood the importance of getting money in their pockets and they didn't give a fuck who else got it. 
you know, yeah. I understand that like normally when you talk to people specifically about SNAP and Medicaid and all of that kind of stuff, it's like, well, yeah, people should get it, but there should be people like me. They should be yeah. white, hardworking, et cetera, et cetera. You know, but in this situation, everybody's like, nah, I don't give a fuck who else gets this shit. I want it, I need it, and I'm glad that somebody gave it to me. Um, and so, you know, it, it's Barry is it's just it's it's just it's hilarious. On the one hand, he does understand, like with the earned tax credit, where he's just like, we should have just gave them that shit so that we could get the wins and everybody could understand. Hello. Barry did that for you. And he did talk about, he also did talk about like his campaign strategies. And I thought that this is like a lesson that, that Democrats have forgotten from the Obama years. Like Obama won again as a black man whose middle name was Hussein um, in the middle of like, you know, at the height of the war on terror, George W. Bush, uh, blah, 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 blah. He won like the white working class vote, <laughs> um, you know, which is just like un inconceivable for Democrats to do that now. Um, and he did it despite his identity, right? And he talks about how he did it. He's like, I just didn't talk about my identity that much. I talked about my personal story. And I also talked about change. And I also talked about economics and regular people's lives. And that foregrounding uh, an economic pitch to voters is always a good idea, right? That th this the liberal consensus has been um, to, to abandon that and to foreground identity and social issues, which are inherently divisive. You know, and people don't like them, you know, and instead of economic issues, economics again, are divisive, too, but in the way that we want. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. The right division. Uh, but uh, yeah, the and, and again, the, what happened in Georgia with the special elections again, remember, we it seems like a million years ago now where the Democrats won two. They Senate put the money on the ballot. Georgia. They put the money. They're just like two thousand dollars. That's all I'm talking about. Sometimes. <laughs> That's it. Which they didn't Either even. The, by the way, they didn't. They didn't even they do. Didn't even yeah. But they didn't even deliver on it, but but that's what they talked about, and they won. It's like, how do they not learn these lessons? You know, like how does the, like the liberal press and the 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 smarty pants uh, commentators and Democratic Party politicians not learn these lessons? These lessons, you know, that you have to foreground bread and butter issues that affect people's lives. Those things unite people. Social issues, the culture war. We always talk about it. The culture war is poison. Stay away from it. Stay the fuck away from it. It is the most poisonous thing in the world. It will poison your interpersonal relations, your family relations, and it's poisoned our politics. A class war unites people. Everybody. And that's what, and that's what Obama understood. Yes. And, you because know, it, first of all, it's the, the thing is, like, they tried his opponents, not just Mitt Romney and John McCain. Remember, John McCain you know, nominated Sarah Palin as vice president. It was basically- Well, he just doesn't a, share our values. Exactly. <laughs> and, but Hillary Clinton in the primary, it of was course. the Hillary Clinton campaign of that course. ran a disgusting race baiting campaign the against Obama. The joint with the turban on and all of that. Yeah, yeah. yeah they, they released that, that photo. They were like, oh, look, we just found this. <laughs> you know, like, it was weird. You know, like, and, and, and Obama won despite- the race baiting against him because he never took the bait and because he foregrounded change in economic issues, which is what voters want everywhere, everywhere, not just in the United States, but in every democracy in the Western world, voters want change and economic improvement. And if you foreground that, you're going to win. If you don't, you'll lose. Yeah. I, I'm trying to go through my notes of some other notable, um, Notable things. Barry did his, you know, now people take my existence as a black man in the White House for granted. I was like, yo, yeah, Barry, yeah, he's such a such self important. Yo, Barry, you need to relax, bro. Like, we get it. You, you have beautiful children. Michelle is a beautiful woman. And, you know, very, she evokes a sort of power that resonates with so many different people. And I get all of that. But, like, yo, my man, <laughs> I mean, my man. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, and, you know, certain things that you touched on, too, um, the Medicaid expansion being the most popular part of the of Obamacare. Um, guys, let me tell you what Medicaid is. Free health care. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's what it is. Government, that's government, healthcare, government, yeah. free health care. That's the most popular part of Barry's fucking whack ass health care bill. Is the part of it that gave people free health care, free dental and vision. 
free. That was the yeah. most popular part. It's like, what? Well, it's like I wanted to bang my head on something. Like what? Like what is going on here? Yeah. And yeah, I, I think the over, I think the overall message was like, give people some stuff that works, and then give them the benefit of the doubt. And it's like, yeah, Barry, you need to tell Joe Biden that. Um, again, and I don't want to sound like a broken horse here. Um, a broken horse. I don't want to beat a dead horse or sound like a broken yeah, record. Broken record. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, this shit is not very complicated as far as what we're talking about here. One, just stay vigilant about how everybody's framing things. Um, inflation is bad, but people working for slave wages is somehow a good. Right, like people not want to get back quick is that's fucked up. It's gonna, it might lead to inflation, like inflation that hasn't happened, by the way. Like the 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 the, the actual fact of people working for horrible wages, not being able to pay their rent, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, at these terrible jobs like Walmart, which is a fact, is somehow cool, and the potential for inflation. Oh my god, just how everything is framed. Um, you know, I think slowly but surely, like even in Barry's defiant tone about how I just did everything I could do, he could see like when he when he lamented the deficit hawks, he's like, finally those fuckers realized they were wrong. You you could tell he's like, yeah, we we missed the we missed it we missed it yeah we missed it yeah. the Barry years y'all missed it yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that's our show for today, guys. Uh, make sure you're subscribed to every single Count the Dings offering. Make sure you subscribe to the individual Woke Bros feed. Go find that. Oh, we got a new one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have our own feed now, Nando. Go for, oh, we have shit. our own feed now. Go subscribe. My mom, to my mom has always been very confused. It's like, wait, but your show's called Woke Bros. Why can't I find it? And it's like, I'm like, get the, the bomb Black. feed. She's like, the, the boom feed? Yeah, and yeah, I'm like, yeah. Oh. Yeah. Right. So now Woke Roses yeah. individually, you can find it wherever you get iTunes, Spotify, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Please subscribe to that. Of course, make sure you subscribe to Cinephobe and the Friday Mailbag and every single other Counted Things offering. We'll see you guys next week. Um, shout out to producer Sean. We out of here. Peace.